minimalists. <laughs> Howdy, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. This is Ask The Minimalists number 44, and we have your questions. Well, Podcast Sean has your questions. He's going to read them off camera. Podcast Sean, what's our first question? All right, the first question we have here is from Pamela, and Pamela asked... Uh, I have watched both of your documentaries on Netflix and just realized there are no pets anywhere. I, no, I Can, didn't. I didn't respond. I I don't usually respond to a lot of questions, but what did I respond to that one? Yeah, well, in the rest, of her her question was actually, "Can dog lovers not be minimalist?" And then the <laughs> response was uh, from you. Then you did not watch them closely. There are pets. <laughs> yeah, there are. So Ryan has... I have a cat. And I have a trouser snake. <laughs> What's a trouser snake? <laughs> oh, oh, I love that it's movie. It's about yay big. I love that movie, Clerks. That's so, that's so good. Jay and Silent Bob. Um, yes, of course, you can have pets and be a minimalist. Um, you have just one pet, though, right? Right, just one, yeah. No, uh, uh, it's interesting because I, I don't think she meant it in like a coy passive aggressive way yeah but it kind of comes across as like coy and passive aggressive yeah like, i don't think that's what she meant at all okay and that's why i was just joking back with her like you didn't watch closely because the funny thing is you it's hard to see ryan's cat mac is always hiding He's, i think i've seen it the only time i ever saw it was in our documentary dude he is such a scared cat <gasps> scaredy cat oh <laughs> i get it <laughs> what's our next question shot all right. Next question is from Autumn. Um, this is a long one, Autumn. Uh, my mom is very upset with my being a minimalist. When I donate old gifts or don't use new ones by giving them to friends or a place they'll have a better home, it hurts her a lot. Mm-hmm. I've tried to explain that I appreciate her so much and I can see how much she loves me and I thank her for it. Mm-hmm. But items can be a burden to me and I'd rather give them to someone who can take care of them. She's told me that it still hurts her greatly, and she doesn't want to leave me any items when she passes because she doesn't want them in the trash. Mm. What's her name? Uh, This is Autumn. Autumn. Autumn said, I'm struggling not to see her be hurt and try to find a common ground. I just don't know how to get there. Autumn, of course you don't want to hurt your mom. Of course you want to respect your mother and show her how uh, how much you love her and appreciate her love. I, there's a real simple for me. There's a real simple solution here. Okay. If, if I had a parent that was doing that, I would simply give them the items back, and I would say, you know what? I totally understand that it hurts your feelings. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give these items back to you, so you can do exactly with them what you think should be done. But your burdens are not your mom's burdens. Yes. Yeah. And Autumn, here's here's something else to think about. You actually don't have the power to hurt your mom. Only she has the power to hurt. She's choosing to be hurt by your actions. Let's let's take a parodic exaggeration of an example for you. Let's say that you enjoy wearing high heel shoes. I'm not sure why you would enjoy that. They seem like they're really uncomfortable. I mean, I know why Josh enjoys wearing high heel shoes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she enjoys, Autumn enjoys wearing high heel shoes. But what if that hurt your mom's feelings and she was really offended every time you wore high heel shoes? Mm. Would that be your problem or would that be her problem? Mm. The answer is obvious in a scenario like that. Unfortunately, what we've been told by culture and by society 
is that when we are given something, we're supposed to appreciate it. And there is no supposed to. It's nice to appreciate it, but if something doesn't add value to your life, you can appreciate the gesture without needing to retain the thing. There's nothing you can do to hurt your mom, and because there's nothing you can do to hurt your mom, there's also nothing you can do to unhurt her. She's chosen to be hurt by these actions because she's assigned a narrative. If my daughter does not hold on to this thing, I'm giving myself permission to be hurt. Yes. That's really unfortunate. Mm. Now, you can have these conversations with her. You can, as Ryan said, offer to give those back to her as opposed to doing something else with those things. But ultimately, as soon as she's given those things to you, they are your things to do with whatever you choose. Yes. The only exception to that is if you're stepping on your mom with the high heels, that is literally hurting her. So uh, don't do that. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, it's, uh, one thing that stands out in the question too, is she was almost like, well, she said she's not going to give me anything uh, when she passes because she doesn't want it to end up in, in the trash. I mean, if you're a minimalist, me as a minimalist, if I had a family member tell me that, I would actually say, you know what? Thank you so much for not burdening me with all of your stuff. What a great point. And if there's some stuff that you really, really want, you know, make the case. Hey, you know what, mom? I, uh, you're right. Like a lot of the stuff, I would probably find it a better home. I would donate it. Maybe I would try to sell it. But there are a handful of things that I would really treasure and, uh, you know, whatever it is, like plead that case for it. And she may out of spite, be like, well, no, if you're not going to take it all, then you can't have anything. And again, that's that's on your mother, Autumn. That's not on you. Next question, please. All right. The next question is from Patty. Patty said, uh, working on physical photos. I know some I will take a picture of to save digitally, but some will remain. I am looking to get rid of the photo albums as they take up so much space. Mm. Any recommendations on photograph storage? Yeah, we did a whole episode on this. It's called Hidden Clutter. I would go back and listen to that episode. It's a relatively recent episode. We talk about a bunch of different, because that, that's one of the biggest areas of hidden clutter, whether mm -hmm. it's digital clutter or the photos that, that sort of take up space in our garage or closet. We never use those photos. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean very few people go back to the photo albums. Mm -hmm. It's almost as though like we created the artwork of the album, and now we just store it away. Mm. It's the most unfortunate kind of art because it doesn't actually get used ever, displayed. You can display it in digital picture frames, though, and we have a bunch of different ways you can do that. I won't belabor the whole point. Go back and listen to the Hidden Clutter episode. You'll get a lot of value in that. Yeah, Patty, you've got to come up with boundaries for yourself. You got, let's say that this room was my living space and I wanted to hold on to photos, and I just kept storing them until they were overflowing everywhere. Mm. I mean, pretty soon this is just going to be filled with photos. Um, instead, if I had like a, and this is what I do have at home, I have a little duffel bag that uh, my father gave me actually, which had some childhood photos in it. And I scanned a lot of them, but some of them I did keep. And there's a couple photo albums in there I kept, but that's my boundary. It's that little duffel bag. Anything that overflows from that, I have to decide either to uh, not keep the things that I want to, the new things I want to put in there, or I have to decide, okay, what things are already in this bag that I can remove to make room for more. So uh, if you could set some boundaries up for yourself, I think that would really, really help you uh, avoid getting all that photo clutter. Yeah, totally. Sean, next question. All right, next question comes from Nora. What does each of you need to pay more attention to currently? Are there any red flags that you are ignoring in your lives? Mm. Yeah, the question yeah. is, it's funny how that question like that is framed because I would posit back a question and say, in what time frame? When you say currently, I think of 
right now in this moment. Yeah. And the only thing that, of course, in this moment, no, I'm doing exactly what I want to do in this moment. Do you mean 24-hour period? Do you mean 168 hours, one week period? Is it 30 days that I need? What what time frame? And if you get specific about the time frame, if you're saying currently though, then currently nothing. I'm doing exactly yeah. what I need to do right now. Unfortunately, we look at priorities or or in fact here's a funny thing Ryan the mm-hmm. word focus has a plural it's foci interesting now think about this for a second by definition if you focus on more than one thing everything is out of focus yeah but we in the western world oh, i have several foci mm-hmm. no 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 it just means i'm unfocused interesting um yeah that's that's what was her name oh that was uh, that one was from nora Nora. Okay, Nora, I do understand the spirit of your question, and I will speak to the spirit of your question, which is, yes, uh, for me personally, uh, what I've been like really struggling with lately is diet and exercise. Like I have started intermittent fasting, which is great, um, but I broke my back two years ago. And before I broke my back, I was in the some of the best shape I had been in since I was an adult. And it's interesting how uh, that's why I broke my back because I'm going down the I'm snowboarding down the mountain. And I felt so good, and mm-hmm. I felt like I could just do a backflip. Mm-hmm. That I like pushed myself to the limits beyond and, the limits. Yes, and I found my limits, and yes, <laughs> and beyond. So ever since I broke my back, um, it was really it started with I'll tell you how it started, man. I was uh, at home laying in bed, and the wonderful people over at Bluehost mm-hmm. they sent me a package of like delicious Godiva chocolates, and it was like this pyramid of like peanut brittle and fudge and chocolates and caramel, sea salt car- caramels. And uh, and I had just found out um, just a pr- few months before I broke my back that I was like kind of verging on a pre-diabetic situation. Mm-hmm. So I cha- cleared up my diet. I was working out five, six days a week. Um, I was super healthy. And then in bed with a broken back, I'm like, you know what? I deserve it. Ah. It's okay. I'm just going to you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be rude to the people of Bluehost, and I'm going to go ahead and eat this stuff. And Mariah may or may not have helped me eat some of that stuff, taking some of my burden. But that's really where it started. And then what I found myself doing was making exception after exception after exception. And now, uh, over the last, like, 60 days, I've actually been um, exercising at least three days a week. I've been intermittent fasting from noon to eight. But I know that I need to do more. I, I want to get back into that those habits and into those routines that I had uh, pre-broken back, and I will get there. But I think, you know, something to learn from here is like, I'm not pressuring myself to just go back to working out six days a week. I'm not just pressuring myself to go back to the, the very uh, strict, clean diet that I had before. I've, I've kind of taken this small approach, and I know that I will eventually get back there. But the problem is that if I set it up, if I committed right now to, to all of you and to Milburn, and I said, hey, look, I'm going to go home, I'm never going to eat a piece of candy again. I'm never going to have any sugar, and I'm going to work out six days a week. Well, I might keep that up for three or four days. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I miss a day or as soon as I mess up, when well, now I've broken my commitment, and then it sends me into a tailspin. There's two, two disempowering narratives there. One is the I deserve it mm. because the story we tell ourselves is, and then you, you add another layer on top of that, I deserve it, and it, I would be disappointing mm-hmm. the folks at Bluehost, as though yeah. they care whether right. or not you're ingesting chocolate, yeah. right? It's amazing, like, the yeah, the, the stories we tell ourselves. Right. And it's really the excuses we tell ourselves. Yes. I mean, really, it's, it's kind of what it comes down to. And then the other story is, 
I must work out now eight times a week, and I must eat nothing but broccoli and chicken. Right. And if I, any, if I deviate even from that slightly, then I'm, I'm a, a failure. I'm a failure, yeah. Right. And then and, that, and now now I've eaten a, a piece of sweet potato uh-huh. instead of broccoli and chicken, and now I'm a failure. So I might as well just keep failing. Yes. There's, yeah. So it's yeah we got to be careful with the. I don't know, the boundaries, the things that we set up, um, we certainly want to avoid those disempowering thoughts and narratives. Next question, please. All right. Next question is from Stacy. I'm curious if you know the demographics of your patrons. Gender, age, have children, geography, location. Does it influence your podcasts or essay topics? Do you I, think this is Mark Zuckerberg just trying to get demographics from us right now? <laughs> no, I think he knows better than we do. Uh, in fact, um, you know, my, my first thing, the first thing I would ask is why does that matter? Um, because you know, what chromosomes you have or how much melanin is in your skin uh, doesn't matter to me. Uh, but what I can tell you is, yeah, we, we know the overall demographics of our audience. The only reason that I know is because our literary agent asked for it mm-hmm. last year when we were you know, doing some, some pitches. Uh, and you know, we, we skew anywhere. It depends on what platform. So it's, it's Facebook. It, it's, it's like 74% women. Um, so this is different from our patrons. Patreon does not collect that type of user data, uh, so it doesn't check. You know, it doesn't check every single box. Uh, and so it skew, our audience skews slightly more female, but on YouTube, for example, it's still slightly more female, but not nearly as much because apparently more men than women watch YouTube on uh, daily average, right? Yeah. Um, I can tell you this as well that. What I've noticed is our audience looks a lot. Now, you can take that however you want. Literally looks or figuratively looks <laughs> a lot like the people in our last film, Less Is Now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, that's how we got the people in the film. It was yeah. people who were already following the minimalists. We reached out to our audience. Yes. Yes. And said, hey, do you know you have stories how minimalism has changed your life? And many of those stories made it into the film. So if you want to see a visual representation of what our audience looks like, it's young, old, there's 17-year-olds and 70-year-olds. They're black, white, Asian. You know, it, it, they're people from all different backgrounds, young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter to me. I can tell you the main qualifier for me, Ryan, is that I think that the commonality, the common thread through everyone in the audience is they're discontented by the status quo. Mm. And that's far more important than what your socioeconomic background is. Because there are some people who are completely fine with the status quo. That's not who our message is for. We're not trying to reach those people. And so if if someone says, who's minimalism for? In my mind, at first, my first inclination is, well, it's for everyone. Well, no, some people are perfectly fine with the status quo. It's not for those people. So I'm not trying to reach those people. Does it affect the way that we communicate? No, I think it's the other way around. I, I think our message... Uh, reaches certain people because they're ready to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage you to go to theminimalists.com forward slash tour and find out our next live speaking event near you. And you can come see for yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. Podcast Sean, next question. All right, next question is from James. And uh, James actually got a response from Derek, so I'll read both these. Uh, James says, I've been thinking a lot uh, about how many different voices, theories, and routines I let into my life. At the start of the year, it's tempting to go looking for new ideas left, right, and center, new books, new advice, but it can actually end up being overwhelming. How do you select what new advice, 
theories, routines into your lives? Mm. And Derek responded, great question, James. You are not alone. Every so often I have to stop and pause and ask the question that Josh and Ryan say often, is this adding value to my life? Mm. I feel like asking that question about not just the stuff in my life, but also the, I want to say creations, Mm. I consume. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, Ryan, uh, three things he's asking about here. Mm -hmm. Advice, theories, routines, three, three different things. Yeah. I don't look for advice because that means I'm looking for someone on a pedestal. And I think putting people on a pedestal is dangerous. That means that I'm wrong, they're right, etc. Um, theories, so some sort of observations about the world, all over the place. I, you and I observe the world every day. Mm. And in fact, if we're being aware, awareness is sort of this floodlight that, that allows us to discern different theories. What is... Uh, what is useful to me, what adds value to my life, and what doesn't. As far as routines, I I don't really believe in habit change so much as I believe in a better understanding, and I think the habits sort of change on their own. I wrote an essay about that recently called Changing Your Life Won't Change Your Life. Mm -hmm. You can find that at overtheminimalists.com. Yeah. Man, I know it can be overwhelming because certainly there are like a list of books I want to read. There are a list of podcasts I want to listen to. There are a lot of information out there. I think... For me, uh, I know what I do and don't have time for, uh, the attention, the energy, the time that I have. So the one thing I want to encourage, uh, what was his name? Um, that was, the question was from James. Great. So James, what I want to encourage you to do, I, I'm sure you have a list, whether it's like saved on your phone, whether you got bookmarks or an actual list, get rid of the list. Mm. That's going to stress you out. Like having all of those things on your plate um, it's obviously stressing you out because you've, you've asked a question about it. And start new. And really focus on one – like I focus on one book at a time. I'm not reading four books at once. Some people can do that. I don't have that attention span. I don't have that capability. Mm. So I would I would just encourage you to focus on one thing at a time, one piece of advice at a time. And kind of what Milburn said, like when you understand the why, when you really get to the root of the why – well, now the answer kind of becomes obvious. So why are you seeking advice right now? If it's because you want to have a better workout routine, you want to, you want to know what exercises to do, well, now it's very clear what the answer is. You have to look at other people's recipes mm-hmm. for working out so you can create your own recipe. But understanding that you have to work out, you have to uh, be a better writer, you have to be a better meditator, you have to, be, you have, to have a better diet. If you, have, if you have all those things on your plate right now, then yes, there are many different solutions and recipes out there. But that, to me, seems very overwhelming. So, you know, as uh, the minimalist, we recommend that you keep it simple. <laughs> Podcast Sean. All right. Uh, Darwin. I started applying the idea of doing less means I will accomplish more. I noticed you have a podcast, YouTube, and that you are writing. I was wondering, how do you manage your tasks by doing less and yet achieving more in your life? Yeah, so so doing less isn't about doing. It's about not doing, right? And, And so... I think, unfortunately, when we try to do less, we actually end up often doing more. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because really he listed three things. Yeah. That's not so much. Well, it's a, it's a, the, the camera we're talking to right now has a, has a tripod. Yeah. 
And if I were to kick one of those legs out, the thing's going to tip over. Right. And so the three things that we do, in fact, I, w- I would describe it a little bit differently. I would say podcasting, writing, and big projects. So those are the, sort of the three, mm. the three tri- the tripod legs. Yeah, yeah. And, and if we're doing all three of those things, we're, everything else that we do serves those things. Serves the camera. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, In a way, yeah. And, and, and as opposed to like, how do I get more legs onto this? Oh, and yeah. It, it's and unfortunately, so the so the, what are you trying to hold up? Right. And what what is what is appropriate to hold that up? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah that's a great way to, great way to look at it. Mm. Podcast Sean. All right, we're down to our last one here. This is from Stan. It's a little bit longer. Sometimes our loved ones worry too much about us, our future, career, etc. Sometimes way too much. They are anxious about us, meaning they would like to wish uh, we would be happy. Mm -hmm. But in essence, it opens a door to constant projection of their worries on us, sometimes making us try to help them worry less. (laughs) Then it just results into acquiring their worries and their worries become ours. New burden and suffering. Their anxiety still grows. Ours does the same. They love you so much that uh, just make you, your and their life unbearable by worrying and expressing it every time so that you find yourself in a position when you have to justify yourself. At the end, it does not work, of course. How to solve this and not break the relationship with loved ones? It sounds like Stan is confusing love for something. I can't figure out what that something is. Yeah, desire maybe. The, maybe or, the, there's, yeah. there's a, and when I say desire, I mean loosely as in um, the desire to please other people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so really what you're saying is I don't want you to worry. Well, what does that mean? I don't want you to experience the pain of worry, mm-hmm. right? And well, okay, as long as now your happiness is tethered to their experience that means lack of pain, you're constantly trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship is sinking either way. And, and so there's there's going to be worry or there isn't going to be worry. Mm. Whether or not you choose to internalize that is a different story. If Jordan is worried all the time, um, it's going to, at some point, make me feel anxious if I decide to take on his worry. Now, I don't have to. I don't have to let my happiness be dictated by, you know, Jordan's behind the camera right now. I don't have to let my, my happiness be dictated by, but I can, and then it's really easy. Mm. In fact, we're told that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have empathy for other people as though that's virtuous. Mm. Empathy is not a bad thing. In fact, only psychopaths truly don't have any empathy. Mm. Uh, You know, if I I see a video um, where someone gets into a car crash, like it, I scream. Yeah, that's empathy, right? I can't, I can't help not having it, but. I don't have to keep watching the car crash over and over mm. and over. And that's what we're quite often doing with the people we love the most is their happiness is contingent on us. Our happiness is contingent on them. But, of course, when that's the case, really, it's not our happiness. It's our misery is contingent on them because there's always going to be so much more supply of misery than there is of happiness. Yeah. Man, I think when you focus on love, respect, and understanding when it comes to talking to family members. You, you can't go wrong with those three things. So you want to respect their emotions and their feelings. 
you want to show them that, hey, I understand where you're coming from, and I, you know, I love you, and uh, you know, I, the love that you have for me and the love that I have for you is is absolutely real. But their burdens aren't your burdens. You know, the best way, I think, to address whatever those concerns are, is live a meaningful life because. Once they see mm-hmm. you consistently living a meaningful life, a lot of those burdens will go away. But yes, you know, some parents are hel- uh, helicopter parents and they're constantly worrying about different hypotheticals. And, and if you live with a parent like that, well, you know, it's going to be hard to get away from that. But if you are on your own and your parent is still trying to helicopter parent you, I mean, that's, that's not a you problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, uh, you still want to show love and respect and and, and you want to show your family members that you understand, but taking on their burdens, um, it, it, it doesn't serve you well. In fact, it does the opposite. It doesn't serve the relationship either, yeah, right? Yeah, it doesn't serve your family member well. Yeah. In fact, then it creates this sort of dependency. Mm. And what I mean by that is they may get bursts of pleasure. We mistake that pleasure for contentment or happiness or joy. And so they bring a smile to your face. That brings a smile to your face. Mm. Okay, but as soon as they need that, now there's a dependency. I, if I need, I enjoy making Ryan smile. We laugh and, I mean, our, our jokes are the funniest. Yeah, we, we are least, the funniest people we know. Yeah, but just to each other, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and, and I enjoy making you smile, but as soon as I need it, now I'm depending on that. Mm. And that's a totally different narrative. Mm. That's a great point. Yeah. Because now I've got this crutch. Yeah. And and. and and without, I, in order to let go of that crutch, all I have to do is drop the desire. It doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. In fact, that's the paradox of this. You actually enjoy those smiles more when you don't need them. When you don't expect them. Ah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think about the health problems that you have, Josh, and you go through a lot of pain some days. Sure. And I have a little bit of empathy just because I see how much pain you're in. And I put myself in your shoes like, man, how would I feel if I had that much pain? But the best thing I can do for Josh is to support him in any way that I can. That's what's actually going to help his pain. But me sitting there suffering with him mm. is, uh, it's, it's not going to, again, it's not going to serve either of us well. That would make me suffer more too. Yeah. You know, if, if you had absolute empathy, empathy yeah. All of a sudden, like, if you felt my exact pain all the time, yeah. I would feel even more miserable because now I'm making you suffer. Yeah. And so suffering begets suffering. And so the way to break the cycle isn't to drop all infinite, uh, empathy. And, no, that's not what we're saying here. Mm. It's to understand that, I don't, that my internal state is not dictated by externalities. Mm. And some of those externalities are the people in our lives. Yeah. And as soon as we can understand that, we're able to sort of drop the the desire to change other people because that's what it is ultimately. Yeah. It's me wanting to change you. I want to make you happy. That's me changing. Well, happiness is going to appear regardless of, of whether or not I'm in your life. You're mm-hmm. going to be happy sometimes. You're going to be unhappy sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's not up to me to make you more happy. It's not me adjusting the ledger in your life, mm-hmm. the happiness ledger. Yeah. Man, I just want to give a pithy answer to uh, Stan here. Um, you want to worry more about living a meaningful life and worry less about others' expectations. Mm. The irony of that is 
when you live a <laughs> meaningful life, you will worry you way worry less. less. Yeah, yeah, right. I love it. Patrons, thank you for being our top tier patrons. You guys are awesome. VIPs, true fans. We are so grateful. Can't wait to show you our new studio, which is coming really, really soon. Thanks to you, our patrons. We're going to be in this beautiful new studio space that, with new set design. It's going to look aesthetically pleasing. And it's going to allow us to do a lot more for our folks on Patreon. You keep us 100% advertisement free and you pay for Sean and Jess and Jordan, the rest of the team. We're grateful for that. Thank you so much. Love people. Use thanks. Thanks, y'all. Don Minimalists.